to Takes on the Pod. My name is Osai, and this is my podcast where I take on themes exploring culture, society, and the good work of Nigerians in diaspora. Today, I'm chatting with the diasporic Nigerian herself, Maria Sekome. She's a community builder and international student advocate behind the diasporic Nigerian, a multimedia hub committed to highlighting the best of Nigerian professionals and culture, and to some extent, Afro-Canadian culture as well. We'll get into that. I wanted to talk to her about what inspired her passion for community organizing and advocating for Nigerians and immigrants in Canada. I mean, she spent over five years fighting for the rights of students, especially international students. And after graduating, parlayed that into work with nonprofits and higher education institutions. Now she's going even further and is in the process of becoming an immigration consultant. So how did all of this lead to the diasporic Nigeria in the first place? And what can you expect the brand to do for you? I have this and many more questions, but I'll let you listen and find out. Enjoy the show. Straight on my own, left, right, left, your seed is grown. Promise I never forget my roots. You taught me black out, I forever use. But last year left me so humble. New city feel like a jungle. Somewhere I took the wrong tundra. Now I'm all blue like a storm glow. So I grind and I pack all my stress into one road. Blow them away, then I encore. Chairs and applause from the front row. I wanna be gongo. Why just big years like Dumbo? Fly me as high as the sun go. Thank you for chatting with me today, Mary, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time to sit down with me and, you know, come on to take some apart. Um, one of the first things that jumped out to me is that you have an impressive history of activism. This seems to have started while you were at York University fighting for students or international students particularly, uh, which honestly doesn't happen enough. So you worked your way into leadership roles and basically I, I'm guessing to have a larger impact. I think most international students can see the need for this, obviously. But I'm curious, what what was your initial experience as an immigrant and an international student? Like, what was that like? And what drove you to say, hey, I want to do something about this? So when I came to Canada, I believe that was 2009, my big thing after I finished grade 12 was joining the Nigerian Students Association at York University. I just always wanted to be involved with like community groups because I just thought it was important to have people who reminded you of home around you. And I felt that those were going to be people who were going to show me the ropes around the university. So immediately I gained admission into York the first thing I did was email uh, the contact on the Nigerian Students Association page. And I told them, hey, I'm going to be coming to York University in the fall. I would like to get involved. Uh, so basically, immediately I got into campus. I, I started going for the meetings. I was first year rep, second year rep, and all of that. But wow. in my second year, I realized one of my friends um, told me to help him add courses to his profile. And it was just such a weird request, but I was just like, sure, I'm not doing anything, so I'm going to help you do that. But that was when I realized that there was an actual difference between domestic and international students when it comes to fees. I remember I was paying over 30 grand for my first year or even my second year. And this person was paying easily less than 7K. And I was so confused as to how like this person's fees cost. And and they get also. 
Exactly. They get OSAP too. So I was just really confused. And I think at that point, I didn't know what OSAP was. And I don't think like as, as early at that point, there are even international students who understand what OSAP is at that particular time. So that was my first time I've seen that it was, it was, it was basically something that was unfair. I'm just like, there's no justification. I understand that I'm an immigrant and I'm trying to get, you know, good post-secondary education, but there's no reason why you should charge me three times more than what a student who's sitting in the same class as me is, is, you know, like pain as well. I just thought it was unfair. And I think that's where I was like, okay, I need to like find out more. I need to learn more. I just need to see how we can get out of here. And I remember I was applying for jobs on campus and there was, there was just nothing. Well, there were jobs for international students, but it was very difficult to find jobs that had enough funding to hire an international student. Half the time it had to be an academic based position. And it was just like, some of us are not like that. It's not saying that everybody's not smart, but it's just like some people know how to do other things more than academics. And that's something that's totally fine. And it's limited, right? Like it's mm-hmm. also very limited. There's only going to be space for certain people and you're probably competing with upperclassmen and mm-hmm. also probably postgraduate students as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was just one of those situations where I was just like, this is unfair. And then, you know, going back to my time as uh, at the Nigerian Students Association, I ended up being president for two years and and I was the first female president, first female president who served two terms. I have to throw wow. that out there, you know, <laughs> <Talk about it. laughs> but, you know, one of the key things for me was building a community, building like a sustainable network. I didn't just want to create a club where people would just come to our office space and chill. I wanted to create a family. I wanted to create a space where when somebody came into the office, they know that these are people that have their back whenever they come here. So the whole year, I remember saying during my election that we were going to have events every single month. And that was one thing that I know my team and myself definitely delivered on once we got elected into office, because I wanted to show people that it was important to be consistent because there's this thing Nigerians do. Nigerians associate with you when you're popping. And then when times are hard, you're not going to see anybody there. And I think we had the transition in the NSA at that point where the club basically crumbled for a little bit. And then I came and I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I can do to like raise this back up. So we didn't have a lot of members at that point. There were other African student associations, you know, that were getting more hype than us, but I was determined to make sure that, you know, this was something that I rebuilt from the ground up again. And I remember that year we started getting involved more on campus. I remember we got involved with the student union. They had something called Multicultural Week, where pretty much all the cultural clubs just come and compete based off of different things for um, their culture. So I remember that was the first time the NSA ever won something because I had remembered watching these performances year after year and wondering what it would take for, you know, a Nigerian club or like an African club or just Africans in general to win something in that competition. And I remember the year when we won we won the fashion show we were we were we won a bunch of things you know but i i directed that fashion show and i knew you know like we we had this whole miss nigeria type thing or miss universe actually just to like showcase akbani darigo and the song we played was african queen and immediately that song came up at the student center 
everybody went off. It was at that moment that I knew that we were winning. And it was interesting <laughs> to see when the results came out that we actually won. It's just, I had that vision and I was just like, I'm here to snatch all these awards, you know? But the beautiful <laughs> thing awesome. about that was um, the year after the NSA grew because they had like more members. Of course, now that's, we've, we've worked. And of course, you, you want something. Everything. Yeah, you want something. <laughs> now that we've seen that, everybody now wants to associate again. And I'm just like, you know, that's beautiful. And my, my hope was that that was something that was sustained even after I was no longer there um, in, in that particular position. I just generally want to be able to provide support because I know personally I've been involved, you know, in different capacities, whether it's, you know, being uh, an event planner for the first few years when I was here in Canada or being right. a volunteer on campus with the student union or with the university itself, I've just always put myself in places where I can learn more and bring it back to community. And that has literally been my thing from day one. But, you know, when we're talking about international students, I, I, I found myself in the student union. And I will say it was because people noticed the work that I did when I was president of the Nigerian Students Association. So, so this, was, this was after you were done at the, at the NSA. So basically your second or third year, I'm not sure what year it was, you basically yes. are president um, two years running. And yes. then from there, you basically started getting involved in the student union. So before it it was even during like when I was president that I was already involved with the student union itself. So I just started off as a volunteer and then I ended up being a board member. And then I just remained there as a volunteer just because I never thought it was possible for an international student to be an executive. So I just did not, I just never thought that that was going to be a possibility. And then I remember getting approached to run for the position and I was just like, well, I guess I did a really good job as NSA president. You know, people have seen the impact that Nigerians can bring to a campus space and people want that around. So um, I remember getting approached and I was delighted because I had never seen a Nigerian at York be on the student union. I had seen it at other institutions at Carlton, for example, you know, but I Mm -hmm. wanted, I wanted to see it at York and to be one of those first like Nigerians or even the first Nigerian to, to be able to like represent or to represent the community in the student union, that was such a big deal for me. And I remember getting the highest votes in the elections and I was just like, community brought me here. So therefore, I can never forget community and all the time that I'm going to be here in the union. So I was elected for two years uh, at the York Federation of Students as the vice president of operations. And the whole time, my big thing was community. I never forgot about community. I always went to the offices, always went to the Nigerian students office, the African students office, the black students office. I just always went there to like check in on everyone to see how they were doing and to just support them like whenever I could because at the end of the day you can't forget you can't forget where you're coming from you can't forget those people who were there for you and you know mm-hmm. most of us were also immigrants so I know what that struggle was like and I remember when I was there um, at the union that was I think that was another way of understanding how you know jobs worked and how funding for jobs worked. And I realized that, you know, we had our own operating budget and we could afford to hire international students. So one of my main activism duties at the union was like trying to find more ways for international students there to get hired because no other department in the university was going to be doing that. And if I was now in a position of power, 
where I could make a change. I wanted to make sure that it was something that was effective and it was something that was going to be done even after I left the union. So I remember during my time there, there were lots of international students that got hired. And even when didn't get hired, when one didn't get hired for a particular position, I would encourage them to apply for another one because there's a chance that they could get that one instead. So my whole thing is whenever you're in some type of position of power, you can't you can't forget about community. And I understand that, you know, not all uh, kinfolk or not all skinfolk are kinfolk. I understand that. But I think as somebody who is a leader, you're also a strategic leader. You also see people who are putting in the work. You also see people who you can mentor along the way for them to take over from you and basically mm-hmm. continue this type of legacy. So that was something that I always paid attention to. And I was, I was always looking for somebody who could replace me after I'd gone and not necessarily to like replace me to do exactly what I did, but it's just like, who's going to make this place better even after I leave. Right. So right. that was, that was my thing. And I remember, you know, when a lot of international sales got hired, I told them don't like come here because like Mary encouraged you to be here. Like when you're here, do your job. So that after Mary leaves, somebody's like, yeah, I got to keep this person around because this person is a very good staff. And right. I, I, I know so many other international students that were hired within the union that uh, pretty much ended up working in the union maybe like two, three years after it before they graduated. And that was honestly like one of the biggest things. But I think as an extension of my time at the York Federation of Students, I also encountered um, a national student body called the Canadian Federation of Students. And I remember attending my first meeting and realizing that there was an international student constituency. And I was just mind blown because I had never seen a group that advocated specifically on behalf of international students. So I also remember running for the chair position and I got it. And one of my big things was working on a fairness for international students campaign. And I remember traveling across the country and doing presentations about it just to educate both domestic and international students on what the real issues were in terms of international student struggles. You know, apart from paying three times more, we had to like myth bust a couple of times because there were people who thought that international students are just here taking up space and taking up jobs and they're not paying taxes and the government is funding them and i'm just like fam i basically fund your jobs you yeah, know what are you talking like, about like, <laughs> like I we're, we're, we're financing osap like we are financing <laughs> OSAP. we were financing osap 100 you see everybody because that's what happened right? you'd see everybody come back mm-hmm. um you know when everybody starts getting their osap i see everybody excited mm-hmm. buying Gucci this and whatever that you know seriously you just see everybody flaunting and you're just looking like well uh, do we get that and then you now realize like yo this person paid seven grand and is getting like half of that back <laughs> and, you're, and you're sitting here paying like 40 grand you know engineering school fees for what yeah yeah so so no that's horrible but like so when you talk about fairness too mm. and I'm interested in that like because um you made an interesting point at the start where you were talking about how like we don't know that right so for me mm-hmm. the same thing I mean I found out about OSAP early because I was extremely jealous mm-hmm. but <laughs> but but I feel like a lot of people don't know exactly what what rights they have as an as an immigrant. Like we come here, especially as Nigerians, mm-hmm. and we just want to get on and get by and just pay the school fees. We don't expect to get anything. 
Or mm-hmm. what would you say, like, you know, you going around talking to, you know, uh, working for that federation, mm-hmm. what what did you learn? Or what, what could you basically tell people like, hey, these are your rights. If you have a sibling in school right now mm-hmm. or you're in school yourself and you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. what would you say that people should look out for in terms of enforcing and making sure that, that this is something within their control or something that they can fight for? I mean, I think what I will say, first of all, is that you know, everyone deserves a right to education and affordable education. But the one thing that I will say uh, is that if if you're seeing that, let's say you get admission to a school in Ontario, and if you're seeing that tuition fees are too high over here, I promise you, you can go to another province. You can change your program, you know, to another institution. You can go to another institution, go to another province and get something for cheaper. At the end of the day, when you graduate, nobody's really going to check if you schooled at this particular institution or that particular institution. Now people are looking for experience. So like I understand, you know, maybe sometimes your your friends in Ontario, you want to stay with them, but it's just like you can make a decision by yourself to make things semi-cheaper for you by going to another province. And by all means, after you graduate, you can relocate back to Ontario if that's something that you definitely want. But there are lots of options. And I think uh, a lot of times, because we're coming from Nigeria, because like Nigerian parents are just like, you must go to a university. There are so many colleges around that you could even get more applied skills from and it's just like sure. the fact that you've done your second year in a university doesn't mean that you still can't go to a college as long as that college is accredited as long as when you are graduating that program is eligible for a postgraduate work permit as long as you're actually going to learn from that program switch to a college if it's better for you you know mm-hmm. your your career advisors in university are not going to tell you that because they're working for the university the university is making money off you as an international student that's not to say that college is not expensive but at least it's slightly cheaper and you could get a program of your dreams you know and it's just like and, and i think like one other thing is you can have those conversations with your parents because at this point there's no like this is your future this is your future as we're seeing things happening in nigeria anything can switch at any minute and at, at any second and you might not have the same resources or the same amount of funds that you had in your first year to support you in your third year so start thinking smart like immediately and start trying to figure out your future if your program's not working for you switch you know and i wish i knew that when you know i started because I feel like I stayed in my communications program the whole time. And now I'm just like, what did I even learn from here? Because every other communication skill that I'm applying is just things that come naturally to me and things that I've learned along the way. So from your actual work experience. Yeah. So don't, don't, you know, just stay over there. And I think uh, a lot of times when, um, People come into the country, they're just like, oh, one thing I want to say is use your health and dental plans. <laughs> like if you're a student, like you have Honestly. health and dental plans. Like I understand that we're paying a lot for UHIP and then we're also paying for paying for supplementary insurance from like our student unions. But I guarantee you, as somebody who worked in a student union, we are the people actually working hard to make sure that you get plans that make sense and plans that are actually beneficial to you. You know, so if you haven't done your dental checkup, and you're about to graduate, go and use your insurance. And and it's not like your insurance is going to cover every single thing, but it just makes sense for you to just like 
at least try to 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 see take where advantage you're at. Of it. Take advantage of it, you know, because one mistake I think I made was that I didn't use, I didn't take much advantage of my health and dental plan. I remember not having a family doctor when I came in, so I didn't really get you know chance to like get tested on all of that. And now that I'm a permanent resident, I'm just like, oh, I get a family doctor. And the doctor is like, when's the last time you had a medical exam? I'm just like, honestly, <laughs> I've only had medical exams when it's needed for immigration. Yep. <laughs> and that's what it is. But it's just like, we, we have those things that are already available to us. One thing I always tell people is if you are paying for it, you might as well use the hell out of it. Because... I don't know if I'm supposed to use that word, but oops. Um, <laughs> no, no, <it's> okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you're paying for all these things like, and you see it on your statements, you see it on your school statements, you know that you're paying for those things, take advantage of all of those. Like you are entitled to those things because you've paid for them. So use them. Don't just be that person that, you know, just goes Um, I'm curious. So that the federation piece, it seems like you continue to do that work after graduate graduating. And um, is, is that true? And how did that happen? Yeah. So um, a lot of these positions are elected. So you basically run for office, similar to when you are in 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 university or college, and then right. you run, and then you get elected by. The, the province. So the first one I, I got was the treasurer for the Ontario office. And that was voted upon by students across Ontario. And then wow. after that, then I also got voted in as national deputy chairperson. So students all across the country voted. And then I was able to win that election and work there. So it was two different experiences because within the Ontario office, I was just traveling uh, across Ontario. So I spent a lot of time at Windsor, spent a lot of time in Ottawa, spent a a lot of time in the north, so Sault Ste. Marie, uh, so mm. Algoma University. I went there a couple of times. Uh, I went to Thunder Bay a lot, but it's it's interesting when you travel to those regions. The needs for students are different everywhere. So you know, students across the GTA, for example, one of the things that I always heard them talk about was a universal transit pass. You know, and then mm-hmm. when you go to the north, it's just like they're thinking about Greyhound. You know. They're thinking about all those ways right. to, to be okay. able to come to this side of the world. And it's just like access to transportation is, you know, I know we complain about the TTC and I know that the TTC is not the greatest of all, but it's just like, there are also people who have it worse than us, you know, mm-hmm. or there's students who have it worse than us, you know, in other parts of Ontario. So it really did give me a chance to, to open my mind to like different student experiences and depending on, you know, where I was, like I was working with maybe just part-time students or maybe just graduate students. And, you know, like that was also how I got to learn that, you know, there were different needs for international students that are graduate students and international students that were undergraduate Mm -hmm. students. So there's, there's so many things that you learn along the way in terms of, you know, providing support for students. And it's like one strategy that might work for undergraduate students will definitely not work for grad students. So that was always like something to keep in mind. And when I worked uh, at the national office, I had to move to Ottawa for that, but I also got a chance to travel all across the country. So I went to Winnipeg, I went to Halifax, um, 
And it was in Halifax that I really learned about the difference because I had known that, uh, you know, health plan is something that is or healthcare is something that's provincially administered. But right. that was the first time that I actually saw how different it was from Ontario because international students in Halifax, for example, can they can opt out or in Nova Scotia, they can opt out of, you know, like their their schools like or their unions, health and dental. But it's just like in Ontario, that's not a thing. You know, you have to have all those things together. So that was very interesting for me. And it was just a big part of the work that I did was also government relations, you know, lobbying government officials around, um, you know, educational policies that are actually beneficial. And I think one other cool thing that we also got to lobby for was not necessarily Oh, tuition fees, but things around like mental health, things around, you know, sexual violence support. Those were things that, you know, I was able to lobby for in my time there. And the good thing about being in these kinds of positions is, you know, you were sitting in rooms with like MPs. MPPs, you're like so ministers of parliament or provincial uh, ministers, and you're talking about things that affect students the most. You're talking about things that affect international students, and it's just beautiful. And it's just like, I like that's not something that I was able to do when I was in Nigeria. And I don't even, based off of the way Nigeria is, like, I don't know if like Nigeria provides an opportunity for you to actually want to like lobby you know, your, your state governor or your local government chairperson. But it's like, these are things that I'm able maybe, to do. Maybe in, maybe in all your states. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Seems like that's the only place where I think they just, he, uh, the governor just cut out their, uh, their tuition by like, I don't know, like 25% or something. That's interesting. So, 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 so yeah, like, I, that's the only place I've actually heard of like some sort of like, you know, real commitment from the government yeah. to support that. So yeah, yeah that's 100% right. I'm, I'm curious, like, what was it like, you know, dealing with these MPs and these MPPs, were they receptive to this? Were they considerate of, uh, you know, the demands or the, or the, you know, I guess the demands or the needs of international students? Is that something that like they, they prioritized? So while we were, uh, I was part of, you know, a nonpartisan organization, which means that, you know, it doesn't matter which party is in power, we work with whoever is there. I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting to see like which parties are more receptive, um, you know, it's not all the parties that are going to be receptive. And a lot of times, you know, you go That's into you go into those party, meetings. Because every party wasn't receptive at all. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> say it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because yeah. depending mm-hmm. on what you are lobbying for, like a lot of parties will be like, oh, we can commit to this and we can commit to that. But nobody says anything after that. Like I remember going to a lot of lobby meetings with like the liberals and they would tell you straight up what they will do and what they will not do. But I think more recently, before the new uh, announcements were made around the temporary permanent residency um, options or pathways, I had Mm. met with the minister um, of immigration. And I remember during that meeting, he was saying, these are all the things that were done. And he was like, we have a, a very big announcement coming up soon. And I was just like, oh, once again, empty promises. They always say these things and then they don't do anything. And then right. boom, you know, there's temporary pathways for for you know, you know, temporary residents to be to be called permanent residents. And I was like shook. I was shook and I was so excited because I feel like I've never seen a government work this fast, but I also understand that, you know, the Department of Immigration itself has a mandate to have a certain number of immigrants in the country at a specific time. So um, immigration usually sets goals for for three years in a row. And that's how they basically that that's how they cap how many immigrants they let into the country and all of that. So 
it's 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 very interesting like understanding the lobbying part of it and then yeah. you know now as somebody who then wants to become an immigration advisor then also seeing like how those things are reached i feel like i've done like all the yards of it you know living the international student life and then being somebody who's lobbying on behalf of students generally and also specifically international students and now i'm just like okay now i'm going into the policy side of it and you know right. wanting to like support those people who are deciding to who want to stay in the in the country more permanently so so it's very interesting oh that's awesome that's awesome and I'm, before i get into the next thing i'm like when you actually joined that the provincial and the national federation mm-hmm. what was uh what was that campaign like you know i mean you're going to york university uh, like how are you able to campaign or pitch to students in rising university or how does that work or do you kind of only focus on the constituents in in your university so not necessarily because when you there's there's general meetings so similar to the annual general meetings that the student unions will have on each campus, uh, there were also annual general meetings for this provincial and national organization. So during that general meeting is is when you would declare that you are interested in running for a position, and then you would go around to seek nominations. And based off of the type of person that I was, like I wasn't just oh I'm only going to talk to people from York University or from the GTA. I've always been that person who just wants to meet people from other provinces or from other parts of the province and like learn from them. So Mm. for me, I don't necessarily think I had a problem running because I knew that I had done the groundwork of making those connections and maintaining those connections even after those general meetings. So I knew that if I had said that I wanted to run for a position, I knew that I was going to get, you know, support for it because I, I, I'm generally a friendly person. So I just talk to people and like just make genuine like connections. So Usually at those general meetings will be where someone gets elected. And then um, in a year's time, there will be another round of elections. And if you want to get reelected, you can get reelected or you can decide to move on with your life. So, yeah. No. Okay. Okay. That, that totally makes sense. Um, so you're traveling around the country or, you know, around the province and around the country, essentially mm-hmm. helping and fighting for students' rights, mm-hmm. right? And you talk about how you, you understood what these different students, you know, different students' needs based on where they're located and what the provincial situation is. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, what, what do you learn about yourself or about, you know, about Canada just traveling around like that, right? I, I know you posted something about Africville, which I want you to get into, but I'm curious, what, what was your perspective about, like, I guess the country as a whole? What, what did you see? I think I definitely realized that I love traveling. (laughs) That was was definitely the one thing that I realized. And I realized that as I was traveling, I always loved to connect with, you know, people who looked like me. So immediately I I knew that I was going to work in a particular place. I was already finding like a Nigerian restaurant. And if there was no Nigerian restaurant, finding an African restaurant, because I'm just like, this is a prerequisite for me to be able to do my job well if I'm going somewhere else. So that was, that was one thing that I always searched for. And when I went on campus to break the ice a little bit, like I usually like walked up to, I always knew Nigerians somehow. One way or yeah, that. yeah, we can but always tell. <laughs> don't need to talk. Don't need to, honestly. Yeah. yeah, but I would usually like talk to a Nigerian and to just see where exactly they're at. And then, you know, that would usually make me feel like more grounded to, to start talking to other students and do my job. So that was like one thing that I, I definitely saw. But I think one of the big things for me, um, and I think one of the one of the best trips for, for work was definitely going to Halifax. 
Although the first weekend I was there was when the hurricane happened. So I was trapped. Oh, in, wow. Honestly, I was trapped in this Airbnb basement for three days. There was no light. And I was like, is this why I was brought here? Like, I was I was brought here to do work. And now I can't go anywhere because I don't know anybody. And I'm just stuck in this basement by myself. And I'm just like, what if it gets flooded? So that was a scary experience. But Yeah, that is wild. <laughs> yeah. But besides that, um, I think like uh, work was also good enough to give me maybe one spare day to be like, okay, you can relax on this particular day um, when you get somewhere. So I was able to go around and, you know, learn about a couple of places. And one of those places was uh, Africville in a place that is now called, um, um, you know, Halifax. Um, but pretty much uh, Africville is where the first set of uh, freed um, African slaves first landed um, in Canada, per se. So that was where they were. It was a very thriving community. But um, as as we continue to learn more about Canada's dark history and continuous oppression of, you know, like racialized people. Um, what we started seeing was that there was, there were different attempts to force, you know, those black folks out of that particular space. And when black folks were not leaving, they decided to basically have a sewage plant just like right beside Africville itself. So that opened up you know, Africville as a community to different diseases because if there's sewage down the road, like it's going to take a while, but like everything is going to start spreading around the community. So, you know, there were lots of diseases. I think they also brought um, an infectious diseases hospital to that particular place. So definitely, you know, these Black folks were going to get infected. And that wow. was just a way to like get these people out of there. There were times where, you know, they stopped, you know, water from coming in. They burnt the only church that they had. Like they basically wanted these people gone because Canada has a weird obsession with land. We're taking land that is not necessarily that theirs to, to you know, want to... I guess like develop it, which is really weird, but right at the expense of tax gain. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like these were people who were there first, and that's why when you go to when you go to Nova Scotia, for example, like you will hear of Afro Nova Scotians. That was the well, I had heard of that term before I went there, but you Mm. know, compared to if you're just living in Ontario, you don't know who Afro Nova Scotian is. You know, you don't know that history, but when you go there, that's when you start to learn more. And for me, it was very imperative that as I was there and once I had some free time that I was going to go to Africville. Now, one of the really fucked up things about, um, you know, Africville is the the place it's situated. There's no direct bus that takes you there. So you will have to get off the bus, you know, in you know, on, on the main road, and then you will have to walk all the way down. To Are you where, serious? Yeah. So that's basically what it is. So it's just like, it feels like this community has been intentionally cut off from the rest of, you know, Halifax itself. Right. So if I didn't have a car, for example, I wouldn't have been able to to get there. If I didn't take a taxi or whatever, I wouldn't have been able to like get there or I would have gotten there, but it would have taken me over, you know, a half an hour walk to get to the particular place. And pretty much the only thing that exists on uh, Africville right now is, you know, like a replica of the church that was there before. So Those it looks like down. a church. Yeah, it looks like a church, but what it is, it's actually a museum. And that museum basically tells the story of 
you know, this Afro Nova Scotians that arrived in that particular part of Nova Scotia first. So it's a, it's a very interesting experience because like you hear stories, you watch videos, some of them are in black and white, but it's, it's, it's just, for lack it's, of better words, it's, it's very heartbreaking. heartbreaking because it's just like, it, like, I don't even need to situate myself to understand how terrible that was. And, you know, and then you, you see this government come on TV to be like, oh, we're celebrating things like Canada Day and we're doing this and we're doing that without actively acknowledging, you know, this horrible traditions and this like, you know, systems of oppression that have continued into present day world. You yeah. know, so, you know, when I think of Afro Nova Scotians, like I also have to think about the indigenous people on this land. And I think one of the things that like this job helped me do was also understand, you know, indigenous communities wherever I was that I traveled to. So that was something that I just like naturally keep my eyes out for. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, what community is is this? or what communities in this particular place and just see how exactly I can support. So apart from wanting to support black businesses when I travel, if there's a chance to support an indigenous business, of course, you know, if we're buying gas, buying gas in the reserve, you know, just supporting right. like whatever communities are there. And, you know, that, that was, it, it was in the student movement that I learned about land acknowledgements and, you know, like making land acknowledgements before we do a presentation. So I always reached out to, let's say the student union before I got there, or sometimes I just did my own research to see what communities were there and then just uh, re-edit and like re-edit the, the, the statement just based off of the community that's there, but also actively like learning, you know, what is happening like in that particular community. So that was that was definitely um that was definitely one thing that I, I I learned throughout like my student union journey, understanding that, you know, Ottawa is unceded Algonquin uh territory, understanding yep. that there is Mi'kmaq people um in certain parts. So it's just it's it's been very interesting. Like definitely, you know, when it comes to social justice, when it comes to activism, I think the Federation definitely helped ground me in that. Because there's mm. just there's just things that I see today that I can't just be quiet about because I know better. So therefore I'm going to do better, whether or not, you know, I'm like and it's also understanding that, you know, I'm a settler on this land and in as much as, you know, whether or not like we meant to contribute to the the whole you know, system of colonization through immigration and through us being like settlers on this land, like that is what immigration is also doing. So it's also important to realize that from the start when you, you know, get onto this land and when you are living and enjoying the benefits of this land as well. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really, really powerful point. And I think, uh, you know, for a lot of us, uh, you know, immigrants and uh, Nigerians, Africans who maybe don't have that deep history here, you don't recognize what, you know, they took. You know, everybody talks about the slavery in the the U.S., which is obviously horrible. But, you know, so many things that happened here in Canada, even with the residential schools, um, I think, uh, you know, it has its own past as well. And whether or not, you know, some people might have issues rehashing or not rehashing it, but ultimately the government should be doing something about it. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of what the work that you're talking about, bringing yeah. attention to it, you know, because that, that Africa story was, yeah, it was, it was really heartbreaking. Right. But then you yeah. think about what's been happening to ind- indigenous people for over 300 years, you know, yeah. where they literally got wiped out and then they, they basically abused a whole generation or two of them. <laughs> And yeah. like, you know, so what I'm saying, like, like, so I a hundred percent understand where you're coming from. And I think, uh, that is something, you know, uh, I think 
us as Nigerians or Africans should really continue to pay attention to, you know? Yeah, I think I think what I want to, you know, just say on this is just, you know, when when Canada Day, for example, comes around, and I know that it's going to happen after this podcast drops, but when, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, and um, when Canada Day comes around, I understand, you know, everybody gets super excited and all of that, but it's important, again, that is a perfect day to understand the injustices that have happened and continue to happen to indigenous people on this land. You know, like you can, like if you're hanging out with family and friends, it's important to have those kinds of conversations. Like don't be wearing like your red and white and, you know, just it, it's, it's kind of disrespectful because there's, there's a group of people who are hurt and who are still hurting. And I think it's important for us to like challenge ourselves in the way we decide to celebrate in quotes, uh, whatever Canada Day is. Like, yeah, I understand, you know, Canada has given us opportunities, but you know, on whose backs, you know? So that's like one thing that I wanted to say on that. But I think like for me as a diasporic Nigerian, I think, like I said before, like I'm somebody who knows better and I'm somebody who definitely wants, um, to do better and I want to be able to challenge community to do that. Um, I remember uh, last year on Canada Day, I had released a blog post titled uh, It's Canada Day, but whose land are you really on? And I had one of the things that I learned when I was in the student movement was uh, like um, like a, a way to learn what particular land you are on. And um, if you go to native-land.ca, uh, that's basically an interactive map that's able to show you what uh, community you are currently in and who's around you, what languages they speak and all of that. That is also a good way to learn. I'm not saying that people should only commit to doing that during Canada Day, but I think just generally based off of, you know, whatever region you are, you are living in when you're hearing this, I think it's important for you to just know who exactly is around you. And Indigenous communities are different, you know, those of them who are, you know, in a specific community in now called Ontario would definitely be doing things like differently from another community over in Winnipeg. So right. we can't, the same way that we understand that blackness is not a monolith. I think it's important to understand that, you know, indigeneity and indigenous communities are also not a monolith. They have different things that, you know, uh, they're doing. And I think right. it's important that when we're talking about like indigenous folks, like we don't just, you know, talk about, you know, the, the trauma and those things that have affected them. While those are important to note, I think it's, we also know that they're indigenous folks, like they're indigenous creators, they're indigenous communities who are also trying to, you know, bring like a more positive light to their communities and not necessarily promote stereotypes. So I right. think it's, it's also important that we're paying attention to those folks as well and trying to amplify whatever it is that they're doing. And I think that even like maybe after folks have listened to this podcast, if people ever have like questions for me, I can always like find ways to like find resources that, you know, we can use to learn. But I will say, you know, if you go to, if you go on YouTube, you know, like there's there's a couple documentaries that are also up where you can, you know, self-learn without having indigenous people sit in a room to try to teach you, you know, like whatever it is that's happening to them. You can see all of that when we're talking about pipelines, what mm. communities are pipelines affecting, you know? Um for for me, I, I come from I come from Worry and you know, when I was there, like SPDC of Shell was one of the big companies there. And mm. you know, when we think about River State, when we think about the Ogoni people, when we think about what the waters in in, in those regions look like, how polluted those like regions are, then it's like 
those are some of the things that are happening here. So when indigenous people are saying they don't want this pipeline on the land or when they're saying keep, you know, the oil on the ground, like these are things that they're talking about. So when you see like indigenous folks basically talking about their struggles, I do think that, you know, as settlers, like there's there's nothing else we should be doing but amplifying those things. The mm. same way like we as black folks who want people talking about what's going on with us and is going on to our communities. I think that that's something that we should also be doing as people who are on this land to further support these indigenous people. Like share a post, learn something, watch something. You know, we can't we can't just sit back and be like, oh, th- there's no excuse not to do anything. Basically, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think on one of your link links, um, or your personal links on your you know Maria Sekimes, uh Instagram page, like mm-hmm. she has a link that actually points to nativeland.ca. And I checked it out and you could see all the different tribes. And you could, it's really interesting to see how huge some of those territories were. Mm-hmm. Like they were re- like some each of these different um, uh, indigenous tribes. Like what was surprising to me was to see how huge the territory like some of them had or mm-hmm. some of the different tribes had. So yeah. I think it's a good learning experience for anybody there. And, um, you know, uh, you know, July 1st, I think it should be, you know, paying attention or thinking about the indigenous people and what that they might mean to them. You know? Yeah. And I will always like share like your like resources on those days. So July 1st, uh, September 30th, which is, you know, Orange Shirt Day, um, which basically uh, acknowledges, you know, the, the, the kids that have been lost to the residential um, school system. Um, I, I will always post like stuff on that day. But I also think generally like think about buying a, like an orange shirt and like putting it on on that day um, just to show a sign of solidarity, but also understanding that even now that we've talked about this 265, um, you know, children that, you know, that everyone's talking about right now is also understanding that September 30th is a day where, you know, communities, indigenous communities, you know, acknowledge that that's a thing that happened. And then there's also, you know, the Red Dress projects signifying, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women. It's also keeping that in mind. And I think that's usually in May. I believe that's usually around May. So also keeping that in mind that these are things that are happening. If you go to a university or college, chances are indigenous students are on your campus or, um, you know, indigenous associations probably had like a red dress project or maybe just around you. If you see red dresses, just understanding that that's something that's, that's what that actually means. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for, you know, highlighting it and really providing the right context to it. Um, That's not always easy to do. And I definitely (laughs) couldn't do that myself. So I really appreciate that. Before we get into your brand, um, I know you mentioned when we were talking earlier about uh, that you were in the process of becoming an immigration consultant. And I I feel like this all ties into your advocacy and, you know, what you've done going around the country, you know, pushing for students' rights. So Mm -hmm. um, it totally makes sense to me, but I want to hear your perspective on why you think it's important to get into that game now and what kind of problems you're hoping to help people solve. Uh, For me, I think... 
there's always going to be a group of people that want to immigrate to Canada. Just case some points, what is happening back home? But it's just like, how do we, how do we then try to support those people when they come here? Me understanding and me going through the system and understanding that I could have switched to a college. I didn't have to stay in a university the entire time. Me knowing that I could have moved to another province. It's just giving people that, you know, general overview of what things really you know, looks like in Canada as opposed to, oh, I just want to take your money and like bring you to Canada. That's not it for me. I want to give you an overall experience. And I want you to always remember that I was able to help you set a clear foundation before like, you know, you came to Canada or for the time while you were here in Canada. I remember um, when, when I came to Canada myself, um, the agent that had brought me had told my parents that 1000 was going to be enough pocket money for me. And honestly, Jeez. That was not that was not enough. And typical Nigerian parents, they always trust what the other person in power says over what the child says. And I'm just like when I try to explain that, hey, I might need a little bit more than that to take care of myself. And it's just like, what do you mean? This person said that this is how much you needed. So it's just, you know, letting people know that these are conversations you can have with your parents. And it's just like, if you're trying to immigrate with your parents, it's me wanting to have honest conversations with your family to be like, let's actually plan for the next 10 years, not necessarily like the next two years, because, okay, like if your child gets into university now, what is your plan in terms of making sure that this person is going to remain here? Because tuition fees increase every year because annoying board of governors or board of regents at universities and colleges always, almost always votes to increase international student fees. And it's never by 1% or 3%. It's usually more than that. So it's, you know, having those honest conversations because I don't think I was necessarily very prepared as an international student who was coming to Canada. And it's understanding that I don't want people to, to make the same mistakes that I made when I was coming to Canada and just providing them with better support. That is like one of the main reasons why I'm doing this. Um, obviously, like for me, it's also like learning how to build a business to like properly support myself. It's me as an immigrant trying to learn how to build um, a business by myself and survive as, you know, like a business owner in the diaspora. So that is also like a challenge for me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to basically accomplishing that. But I think there's also Canada likes to unite families together. So it's, it's also beautiful to, to, to be in a position where I get to like unite a specific family together. Let's say like the spouse has been in Canada for so many years, they haven't gotten a chance to see the parents yet, you know, things like that. And like when I'm thinking about my immigration brand, I'm not just thinking about, you know, like, oh, like, let me just get you here. But it's just like that first day experience, you know, maybe buying people food, like immediately they come in. It's, you know, providing some type of like curriculum to further support those students that I'm bringing into Canada or that I'm helping to bring into Canada because, you know, like during Frost Week, everybody tries to like hush, hush and like put all this information into your head and then you forget it at the end. But it's just like, okay, like if you had a visa that's, if you had a study visa that was just for one year, you know, how exactly do you know that you're supposed to renew that study visa? Because honestly, I don't know how I knew that I had to do those things, but sometimes somebody has to tell somebody that they right. need to do this. Whole word of mouth. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, 
it, it shouldn't have to be word of mouth. Like these are things that should be clear, you know, making people more familiar with, you know, Canada's immigration system, explaining, you know, the immigration website. I want to be able to help you and also make money while I'm helping you. But I also want you to be more situated with understanding that this is how you can use the Canadian immigration website when you're trying to do things by yourself. And I understand that a lot of immigration consultants might not share that view, but I think that's totally fine as well. Because for me, I, I want, I want to be in a place where I'm able to empower people and give them skills to be able to survive as immigrants in Canada. So I know it's all going to work out. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, th- I think it's all going to work out. I think you're, you're perfectly poised to, to be able to help people in a real way. You not only do you have the interest and the passion, I think mm-hmm. you clearly have the experience as well. So I'm excited to see that. And, um, uh, it's, it's like to call, reach out to you and get some immigration updates on, and trip tips and tricks for not yes. just myself, but for whoever will be listening as well. <laughs> for sure. Now, with that in mind, mm-hmm. uh, you described the diasporic Nigeria as a hub for runaway Nigerians like yourself to gather, <laughs> share, and relieve, relive memories of home. Yes. Um, so when did you start toying with the idea of creating that brand? Because even what you're talking about with the immigration, I, I do feel some sort of uh, convergence with all these different things that you've done. Um, yeah. And that's the reason why, you know, I, I said to you earlier, like, I feel like all of these things tie in. So yeah. when did you start toying with that idea of creating the brand and, and what, what need were you looking to address there? Hmm. So I think this started when uh, I started working in the student union, because at that point I realized that I wasn't like necessarily working directly with community anymore. I was working for the greater good of, you know, student communities across the university, which was fine. But I felt that although I was very involved in the community still, I felt like I had lost a little bit of that touch and I wanted to create a place for like specifically like Nigerian students or Nigerian immigrants. That was like something like that was the niche that I wanted to go to because I don't think that there has ever been that central, you know, support for Nigerians in Canada. Like, you know, now I I know that there are Nigerian community associations, Nigerian Canadian association in whatever region. But, you know, when I was in school at that point, that was not necessarily something that I knew. So I remember talking to a couple of my friends and I'm just like, oh, we should start an like an Instagram page where we basically highlight the cool things that Nigerian students at York are doing. And it was difficult for me to do because of how much work I wanted to do. But I wanted someone else um, to be the person who was leading that. But I don't think like they shared that vision per se at that point or they understood, but they weren't they just we're not down to do it. So when right. I graduated, I realized that there was also a little bit of a gap in terms of, you know, a lot of us were very involved in NSA or CASA or ASA or somewhere. A lot of people were very involved. And I feel like when you graduate, you are now a professional and now you are just trying to hustle and make sure that you have status in Canada and do all of this. I feel like that is an important moment for yourself, but I don't think like you need to lose touch with community at that point. So that's when I more started thinking about, okay, how can I build a hub for Nigerian professionals? So at first it was just, oh, runaway Nigerians, but now it has transitioned into more of providing a network and a platform for Nigerian professionals in Canada and highlighting those cool things they're doing. These are people that, you know, either came here as permanent residents or these are people who started off as international students and they're working in, you know, the big name banks or they're working in big tech companies and all of that or they have their own startups. And I want to get that story. So 
now like the brand is focused on telling that story of immigrants here in Canada or Nigerian immigrants here in Canada, just highlighting those cool things that they're doing. And it's, it's whichever Nigerian and it's not, Oh, I'm, I'm not trying to work with like the most popular people that everyone knows. I think there's a power in the story and whether or not someone is popular or not popular, you can learn something from that story. Right. So talk about it that's (laughs) that's basically that's basically what um the nice work nigerian was created for so that has been the brand and i think like at different steps of the way like we've we've grown into like trying to like provide more whether it's you know doing events here and there or whether it's understanding that you know during nsars like more people have to speak up and organize something whether it's you know taking up like those types of roles as something i've done whether it's trying to figure out the best way to do interviews and just talk to people whether it's just generally going to events i miss events i can't wait for covid to go because one of the things that i liked doing the most on the diaspora nigerian was attending events and talking to you know nigerians at events and just interviewing them on random topics that was always so much fun it's just like beautiful to see so yeah. 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 I think I think I was gonna have a lot of fun watching your um, Mother's Day uh, oh, that, uh, was so fun to shoot. That, that, that was so fun. <laughs> um and then the other one too was uh the burnout the burner concert and that where you were asking people fun. and that that had me dying, man. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> like some people were like, Yeah, no, I no burner from whenever and they asked the song and the song is like from African Giants, like yo, fam. I like, know, and I was just about? like, What state is Burner Boy from? And they're just like, Oh, your state and I'm just like, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so that, that that was a lot of fun i definitely enjoy seeing your your um your content like that and i think you have some of that on the diasporic nigerian as well as well mm-hmm. as on your personal page so people should definitely go out and check that out and especially yes. on the youtube like i don't think yes. um uh, you have a youtube page and i know you're, you have a little bit of content there as well yes. but um uh so you know when i people who hear activists i think you're super serious and like from obviously if anybody can tell like you're you know you're fun joint going like outgoing mm-hmm. casual chill person mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm curious how that affects your approach to creating content you know um mm-hmm. when you're when you're thinking about these things that you're you're doing right yeah um how are you thinking about in communicating and engaging with your audience and maybe even the people who you're interacting with in the in the in the videos and interviews. You see, that's a very interesting question because, you know, you were talking about, oh, when people talk about or hear about activism, they think serious. I think I'm, I'm a very serious person and sometimes I feel like that's something that comes out in my content. And I think that's something that I've been trying to like balance off. So when I do those um, events here and there, that's definitely the fun part. The interviews are very serious because I'm trying to get a story, but I also ask, you know, fun questions like in here, and like out there, like once in a while, because at the end of the day, it's all about balance. And I think that's, that, that's something about being in Nigeria. I, I feel like Nigerians are very good at trying to balance things off because, you know, things are happening back home. There's no Twitter, but you know, everybody's <laughs> joking about one thing or the other. So we know when it's time to hit the streets, but we also know that, okay, let's take a, a chill pill right now and just like enjoy ourselves. So it's just, I think I also have that in me where I just try to figure out, okay, this has been very serious, but also how do I add like little things in here to like engage more people? And it's like, as opposed to doing the traditional gets, you know, a media pass and be inside the concerts and record the concert. I'm just like, let me actually talk to people on the streets and, you know, talk to them about, you know, what they're looking forward to in the concert, because that was after, I think either the first or the second cancellation 
but there was still a lot of people and people like people like I was just like, oh, maybe people won't show up because like this has been rescheduled. But it's just like people were still there. So I just yeah. thought it was it was a nice way to do that. And funny fact was that that was a very impromptu interview because I had just I literally had come to Toronto for work. We just finished one of our general meetings. I was exhausted and I honestly wanted to go back to to Ottawa that night. But I'm just like, nah, if I get back to Ottawa, I'm still going to feel the same dread that I'm feeling from work. So might as well just go have fun. And I remember I had a chance to get a media pass, but I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to stay outside instead and just interview people and then go to my hotel and sleep after because I don't like stress. You didn't get to watch the show? I didn't get to watch the show. I didn't want to watch the show. I'm claustrophobic, first of all. So Fair I enough. don't like big concerts, but I still knew that there were going to be a lot of people there. And for me, I was just like, I just wanted to like talk to the fans and just get that experience out of them. I had like people who were inside that were sending videos and all of that, but I didn't, I was too tired. I had like three or four days of work with back to back meetings. There was Great. no how I was going to enjoy myself if I went in there. So yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, uh, that's that's hundred percent fair. But yeah, I think that that was really good content. So you definitely got the most out of that. Yeah. I couldn't tell that you were tired. So props to you, man. I don't know how you pulled that off. No, when it's, time to, when it's time to work, like it switches. I generally yeah. love. I generally love the camera. I generally like love. You know, talking to people. So mm. once I have the mic on. I'm good. That energizes like, you, right? Like my, my mood just switches no matter what's going on. I forget about it and I just do that. Like fun fact, I used to want to be a journalist or at least a TV presenter. I always wanted my show where I just talk to people. And I think that's also like one of the reasons why I created the Diaspora Nature because I don't think I got to explore that as a communication student at York. So I was just like, which is crazy, right? Which is crazy because <laughs> even for me, like I, I'm, I'm doing the podcast. I was asking myself like, why are you even, you know, I mean, I know this, this was something I was genuinely interested and, and passionate mm-hmm. about, but mm-hmm. I was just like, man, I wish I got a communications degree and just did that. And like, now I'm talking to you and you're like, fam, that wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> That wasn't helpful. That wasn't helpful. There were so many times I wish I went to, you know, um, Ryerson University or X University now. Um, by the way, um, to get the most out of that degree. Yeah, yeah. So by the way, um, it's it's people are calling Ryerson X University right now just because um, Egerton, the founder of Ryerson was also very complicit in residential schools and the residential school system. So indigenous communities and students have been calling for the renaming of the university for so long and the university administration is not listening. So different campus groups are now renaming themselves and taking Ryerson out of their name. So now like the general name for, well, Ryerson in activist spaces is X university. So that's something that's happening and a lot of people are changing, you know, their LinkedIn and whatever other place that they have the institution listed as and just replacing that with X. But that was just, that was just by the way. Um, but sometimes I, I wish I had gone to that university for like a media program instead. I feel like maybe now I would have been on TV, but I'm just like, I'm not letting any opportunity go. And if I have a platform where I think I can support community, but also do things that I love, then I might as well like combine all those things together. And I think that's something that has definitely been working out um, so far. Okay, and that's 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 definitely clear to see. Um, yeah. Just staying on the uh, content 
uh, piece. Mm-hmm. Um, what platforms do you think are best for community building? And, you know, maybe talk a little bit about why you might think that's the case. Like, are you loving Clubhouse? You know, I, I've seen some of your co- content is, you know, you've done some like TikTok type videos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? You know? Ooh, I honestly think that you cannot discount any social media platforms in terms of creating content because there are different kinds of people on all the platforms. Like Twitter is very interesting because I'm still trying to figure out the Twitter audience for the diasporic Nigerian, but it's just like you get serious people and you get really fun people and you're just like, oh my God, how do you balance this out? And then Instagram is where I feel like everybody shines and you can really, really build those relationships with people, take advantage of like DMing people and like talking to them about the content, using the stories to interact with them. Uh, LinkedIn is another place that I'm trying to build, but what I'm trying to do is whenever I interview people, get them to you know like follow and then we just share like more serious content there um but i'm just also thinking of like other strategies to work with you know nigerian firms per se to see how exactly to support nigerian students in canada so that's i think the angle that i'm trying to like pursue for linkedin itself um for tiktok tiktok is just vibes you know i tried so many times to create a standalone tiktok for the diasporic nigerian but they flagged it they flagged it as a community something guideline. I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm tired. So I just stuck with a personal uh, TikTok. And then I just post like food content, dance content, whenever I feel inspired to dance a little bit. But that's <laughs> generally what I've dedicated my, 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 I think for me, it's just whenever I get a chance, I want to talk about Nigerian immigrants. I want to talk about the things that they're doing and how beautiful they are. And I think one other reason why I really wanted a place that that houses or talks about Nigerian professionals is a lot of times when you think about the states, like that's where you get stats of what, you know, Nigerians are doing. You know, Nigerians have the most doctors or Nigerians are the highest educated. But I feel right. like you don't you don't get that here in Canada. And I'm just like, where, like, how can we start doing things like this? And I think it's by documenting information. And then one day, if, you know, like the Nigerian High Commission wants to do one of those things, then we can see that is an avenue for collaboration to see how exactly we can start getting the stats and this data for Nigerians here in Canada, because we know that there's so many Nigerians, whether like we're talking about living in the territories or living in the provinces, there are Nigerians everywhere. So it would be important to be able to like get this data and know how exactly we can also, you know, pride ourselves on the work that we're doing because wherever Nigerians go, they build, they contribute to the economy and it's important for those numbers to also be highlighted as well. In as much as, you know, Nigeria back home is doing its own thing. I do think that, you know, as people in the diaspora that are, that have opportunities to do more, I do think that we still have a responsibility to 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 represent Nigeria as much as we can, you know, because <laughs> like that's that's all we have to do. Like I am personally frustrated with Nigeria itself as a nation, but I do think that my my one of my missions or one of my life goals is de- just dedicated to community work and just supporting the community whenever I get a chance to do that. So yeah. I want to get one final thought on just beyond the fact that you're creating the brand and, you know, you're focus, fo- focusing on uh, Nigerians and diaspora and black owned businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, like, 
when you do these interviews, when you're interacting with all these different businesses, different partnerships, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. or what are you like, what, what do you feel like you've learned from the, like the people that you've talked to, you know, these business owners, what, is there any similarity or anything that you can draw from their experiences running a business here as, you know, immigrants or as people who are from Nigeria? I think one thing I've learned is that a lot of these things are coming from a very passionate place. And I've also learned that there's there's people who are actively working hard to do things that they haven't necessarily seen like their peers do. I had an interview recently with somebody who creates luxury watches. And I don't think I've seen anybody in my time that has been interested in creating luxury watches. You know, it's just every other person just buys from those luxury brands. And I thought it was the coolest thing that, you know, somebody really thought about this whole process of creating timepieces, right. you know, and like he calls them, I forget the word that he he uses to like call the different um, the different steps or the different types of watches that he creates. But he went through that interview, basically like explaining what they're called, like why he's doing this. And I just thought it was, it was honestly the coolest thing. I think one other thing is also generally understanding that the coolest stories are not, you know, necessarily going to come from like what you're expecting. You know, people have like food brands, but people are doing food in a different way. You know, like people are creating brands where you can honestly order your small chops and you can get it in, in like in two days or in one day. And I'm just like, I don't know how y'all doing this, but it's just like beautiful to see everybody trying to like scale up their businesses. And then for people who are doing, you know, like community work, they're trying to find different ways to like engage people. It's just, there's always one cool story or the other. Uh, The other time, I think I also interviewed someone in Winnipeg who owns their own um, makeup store and they sell different brands. So they sell a lot of makeup brands from Nigeria and they also uh, sell a lot of black owned makeup brands like in Winnipeg and across Canada as well. And I thought that was a cool thing, you know, like people are actively getting stores in malls that that wasn't something that I, I saw happening. And, and I think, you know, why I love Nigeria of Toronto a lot is because, you know, she was one of those first people that had a store um, or a restaurant in a mall across Canada, because you'd be going to the malls every time. And mm-hmm. there's no, there's no African food. And I'm just like, what's happening? You know, there's always like Caribbean food. And I, I love me some good festivals, some Aki and salt fish and all of that. Sure. You know, I love all of that, but it's just like, I want to see African food. And I'm just like, for the number of us that I hear, like, I know that we can do this. So it's just like, after she did that, I, I think I started seeing more, you know, stores like opening up in malls. And I think it's, a, it's the nicest thing. And when I go to that Westwood Square mall, the last time I was there, I think that was probably last year. But I think there were like three or four Nigerian businesses that were in that mall itself. Oh, and I wow. think it shows that, you know, people are putting in this work, people are working hard. And I know Nigeria Love has also opened multiple locations, you know, it's just that, like there are people opening franchises like in different places and it's just like beautiful to see people doing that it's beautiful to hear and i'm just like i just want somebody to know that this is a cool thing that a nigerian is doing and as an immigrant in this country whether or not they're now citizens you know the, like the thing about nigerians is whether or not they have that blue passport you're still going to be nigerian your name alone is already very nigerian so yeah, exactly. you know, and, 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 you know, 
Exactly. And like food is part of the culture, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So you, mm-hmm. you, you know, distributing that food to not just Nigerians and people around like you are yep. representing the culture. So yeah. um, that, that's beautifully, uh, you know, that's beautifully said. And um, one final thing is just, uh, you, we talked a little bit about it um, earlier um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, partnerships are key, you know, having mm-hmm. the right people to work with are, is, is really important. Um, and you've had a few in your time. Um, yes. The latest being, um, I think you work with uh, Lemonade Finance. Yes. So I- I'm curious, like, what do you look for in identifying partners that you're working with and um, whether they are approaching you or you're approaching them? What, what, what attracted you to them or to working with your different partners? I think it's definitely, uh, you know, someone who who shares that goal of adding value to the community or making things a little bit easier for the community. I think that's definitely something that I like to look for when I'm working with people. And it's just like, uh, like, yes, it could be a partnership. Yes. Like we could be, making some type of money out of this, but how are we making money, but also making sure that we're not exploiting people as we're trying to do this. That's definitely something that I look out for. And I've had many a times where people have tried to exploit and I'm just like, absolutely not. That's not going to happen, you know? But I think with Lemonade Finance, um, I remember when I had like an initial conversation with them, it wasn't like they just wanted you know, me to just get the word of, you know, what they're doing out there. They also wanted to invest in the brand itself as a diaspora manager. I remember them asking, oh yeah, so what else, you know, are you, do you need help with? What else do you think you're going to need help with? There was that, there was room for that in the initial negotiation or in the initial conversation. And I just thought that was the most beautiful thing. And I'm just like, that's definitely something that I want to look out for in future partnerships. And when, you know, I'm, I'm also partnering with people, I want to definitely be that person who also wants to add value to whatever it is that they're doing. But I do want to say, though, since we're talking about Lemonade Finance, so uh, this is basically uh, a platform where you get the most competitive rates to send money back to Nigeria. So basically, this is the quickest way you can send money. The person in Nigeria basically gets the money in under five minutes. You can Are easily- you serious? Oh, yes. Under five minutes. I remember I was talking to my dad on the phone and I'm just like, yo, like, daddy, I'm testing this app out. I'm about to send you money. And my mom actually got like a like she actually got a notification in under three minutes. But, you know, let's say there's there's something that's happening with the network. Five minutes. But you get it. You get it really quick. And my mom is like, yeah, the money's in my account. So that was like the mind blowing part for me because I had tried the app. First of all, I was just like, wow, this is really quick. But like you can also easily fund your wallet through you know um your your bank or through interact as opposed to using a credit card because i know credit histories are different from everybody not everybody might have a credit card but you know you're able to send this um you can also send up to four thousand dollars um after you verify your email and all of that but the fun fact about this whole thing is that there's zero transaction fees so it's free it's free to send money. You don't, there's no hidden fees. You don't have so to pay like $10. Money. You don't, you can, ha- you can ask them that question. But you know, <laughs> but you know the thing is that like, they, like there's, there's zero. Yeah, there's, it basically like removes that. Pro- For me, I don't, because I haven't gone back home since I came to Canada. I don't necessarily have a bank account in Nigeria. And a lot of times when people were trying to send money, they would go and withdraw money, take it to one person. And then that person will not deposit it into your Canadian bank account. For people right. like me who don't, or into your Nigerian bank account, sorry. But for people like me who don't necessarily have that, this was perfect because I was finally 
able to send money to my parents directly without the need for like a third party or whatever. So that was like definitely something that was key for me. But since we are listening to this right now, I want you to help my ministry as well. When you download the app, it also asks you for a referral code. When you get to that section, please use the referral code TDN. So short form for the diasporic Nigerian TDN. And basically what you also get out of that is you can get up to 10% cash back over on your first transfer over $20. So you are also getting something in return. It's not like, oh, like your, your family back home is just getting like money, but it's just like based off of how much you're sending money, you're also saving money, you're getting cash back. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. But please, please, please go download the app. You can find it on uh, Google Play and you can find it on the App Store. You can send up to 4K. Like you can pay somebody's school fees. You can just deposit it once. <laughs> so like that's something to, to keep in mind. Five minutes is there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'll yeah. put it in the I'll put it to TDN. So you type in TDN when you head over there, yes. and I'll put it in the show notes as well, just so that people know where to go. Thank you. I also have I have a post about it on the Diasporic Nigerian page, but I honestly shot a video as well. And ooh, I love the video. It's gonna drop soon, so hopefully y'all can also watch it and you know share it and you know get people using the code because when people are able to use that code, it adds a little bit of additional funds to my pocket. So if you people can support the mission. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would honestly appreciate it, you know? Go out there and put your money where your mouth is, man. $10 cash back. Don't forget, like, you know, which which money transfer situation is going to put money back in your pocket? 10%, honestly, you know? honestly. So, oh, sorry, 10%. 10%, oh, even better. Yes. Yeah. So guys, guys, don't waste that. Me, personally, I'm, I'm already there. Don't even worry yes. about it. And um, I'll put the link in the show notes. The video is out by the time this episode is dropping. Yes. I'll put it there as well. So people could go and check out, check it out, learn a little bit more. Yeah. And, um, and this is the kind of content you can expect from the diasporic Nigerian. Yeah. You know? Okay, so just before you head out, we talked about, you know, your background. We talked about some of your interests and your goals and the generous work that you've done for Nigerians here in Canada. And um, I'm curious, uh, just before you leave, uh, what your personal aspirations are as you continue on this path and like what that may look like for the diasporic Nigerian. I think I don't I don't ever want to lose touch with community and I don't want to feel like I'm the be all end all when it comes to community work. I think mm. that there's a there's a lot of room on the table. We can all share space on the table, no matter how little the space is. And I think like wherever I go, I want to continue to create space for people. Like yes, I have a team that I'm working with, but I also want to be in a place where I continue to support them and that even if they decide to start their own thing tomorrow, then I'm there to still support them, you know, just yeah. trying to find like more collaboration. But I think in terms of the diasporic Nigerian itself, I definitely want to see growth because it's, it's hard for me personally to, to balance, you know, wanting to provide value, wanting to be like a nonprofit and just be a community building space and like thinking about 
you know, being an influencer and all that stuff. But it's just like it, it comes to a point where you have to make sure that you're also putting in like marketing skills and all of that. So I definitely want to build the brand, whether or not it's a for-profit brand or not. I want to build it. I want to see it grow. I want it to add value to people's lives and for people to be like, yeah, you know, I needed this and I went to the diasporic Nigerian to get this. You know, I, I went here because like Mary put this up the other day or this other person from the team put this up. Like I, I definitely want it to be a place that grows. I want more people to know about it. Even if like you're in Nigeria, like it's fine. Let's say you want to visit Canada, you have questions. I want to be able to answer those questions for people. I definitely want to be able to interview people who are outside of Ontario because again, like I, I currently live in Ontario. Um, but if you have like friends colleagues, family that is outside of Ontario and they're doing good work. I really want to do that because I want this to be a national brand and not just like, you know, people who are in Toronto and in Ottawa, because I get a lot of Toronto, Ottawa, I think some Calgary, but I th- there's bare people, there's bare Nigerians everywhere. And I, I, I ideally want to be able to like reach those people as well and see maybe what type of content necessarily works for them so I can incorporate that into the brand. I want all of us to grow together and blow together and I think it's possible. So let's do it. I hear that, man. You're preaching to the choir here. Anna, <laughs> you've done the work. Um, I think, you know, just what you've been able to do so far, right, you know, out the gate, first year at university has been really impressive. And, you know, I'm excited to see where everything goes, you know. So thank yeah. you for taking the time to join me. And uh, we do this thing um, where it's like we do two takes and uh, I will have my take later on. But I'm curious what your final take would be. And uh, the idea is, you know, we have all all these different things we talked about during the show, but I'm interested yeah. in what your advice would be for someone looking to follow in a similar path to yours to be someone who's trying to create a, some other niche community within, you know, the Nigerian or African space, um, yeah. be the students and an immigrant, you know, student or immigrant advocacy, or just their own brand. What, what would you say to somebody who's looking towards that direction? I think the first thing I would say is don't be discouraged by the fact that there are lots of people who are doing it. I think this is where I get spiritual, but I think when God puts it in you, it continues to talk at you. As as long as it continues to talk at you, it's definitely something that you should do. So you should listen to that voice to do it. What are someone else is already doing it? And I think that there's a lot of us who are doing similar things, but we're all doing it in different ways and we're still adding value in different ways. As long as you know that you are adding value to someone's life, somebody is going to recognize that and somebody's going to support you. And when you're in a position where you are able to add value to people's lives, don't fuck it up. Don't like, like, no, like get your politics up, know what exactly you're supposed to do, what exactly you're supposed to say, because you don't ever want to be in a community leadership position where you are leading the community astray. You have people that you're taking care of. So you have to make sure that you yourself are in a good place to be able to actively lead that community and take care of that community. So, and then the last thing that I would say is, you know, always bring people up with you. Like it's lonely at the top by yourself. (laughs) It's lonely at the top because one day you're going to run out of ideas and that's not when you're going to remember that, oh, there's somebody who's like two steps under and be like, oh, by the way, nah, let all of us grow together. Take people along with you. If you have like other people who, you know, are just joining your team, like take care of those people. Take care of those people. Allow those people like grow, like invest in your people as well. Not just yeah, like yourself on your ground, invest in their growth as well, because they're going to remember that. They're going to remember you allowed them shine. You allowed them do this. You allowed them do that. And they will be grateful to you. But you are also setting a good foundation for us to have more people. Like 
you know, I could go into a rant, but that's where we stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I love that. And I, and I 100% agree with that. I think some people get so competitive and, mm-hmm. you know, single-minded that they don't really think about everybody else around them, you know, yeah. or they only want to work with you or collaborate with you when they can get something out of you. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's just, it's just faulty. And at the end yeah. of the day, you end up alone. So yeah, yeah, I love what you said. And I'll, you know, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, Mary, thank you so much for joining me. This has thank been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. pretty consistent and fully committed to her goals for Nigerians in Canada. I definitely wish I had someone like her at my university, that's for sure. I think people like her building brands like the Diasporic Nigerian are trying to help Nigerians here reach our full potential together. Sticking to educate, inform, and encourage is a really good thing. And the more ways we can find to work together collectively, beyond just our friends, I think the better off we will be. So I'm looking for more brands like her doing work to help build communities for Nigerians or Africans um, in interesting, positive, and creative ways. So look out for that kind of content in the near future. You can share your feedback by writing to twotakesandapod at gmail.com. If that's a problem, follow me on social media at twotakesandapod on Twitter and Instagram, especially Instagram. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can find this wherever you find podcasts. And while you're there, show some love and give this five stars. Why not? You know? This has been two takes on the pod. Thank you for listening. Peace.